Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee, and it is my pleasure to introduce my next guest, a uh, LA-based self-taught musician, poet, curator, coder, and visual artist whose projects investigate the connections between Native identity, diaspora, and belonging while promoting creative and collaborative approaches to address pressing issues. Please welcome Adriel Lewis. Welcome to the podcast. It's good to be here, Rob. Thanks so much for having me. I was um, I was on the plane back from D.C. to L.A. yesterday, so I was like l- listening to your interview with David Ibada. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen I haven't seen him since since before the pandemic. So it was good to just hear his voice and just you know, yeah. So thank you for that gift. Absolutely, that's, that's one of my it's one of my guys. Uh, we uh, exchange memes all day. That's literally <laughs> that is, uh, and uh, yeah. So. I want to start off with sort of the um I'm very interested in like what creative folks do and seeing that you know it's a, it's a bit of a polymath thing going on there's a lot of superlatives mm-hmm. in your background sir so um so tell me about like a bit about your creative background and what was maybe your first experience with art yeah um so um I grew up in in the bay in California and my dad worked in Silicon Valley back when it was really just a valley, not like the entire bay. Uh, and so he was a computer, uh, is a computer engineer, and mom is a graphic artist. And so I think I pretty much like everything that I do creatively is somehow like a blend of creativity and technology. It just kind of, it was never really separate for me. Mm. Right. And so, but I think for me, um, I always liked just playing, doing different things. Um, but I think what stuck first really stuck was, was writing and, and specifically writing poetry. And then in high school, when I found spoken word that just sort of really propelled me down, like kind of, it, it just kind of guides everything I do. So now I do, you know, web and graphic design. I'm a curator. Uh, I make what I try to make as art some you know like in different ways but all of it is informed by poetry and like specifically the culture around like spoken word in like the early 2000s like kind of like deaf poetry jam era yeah. um it was just a it was just a sexy time you know so <laughs> no, i love that i love that and yeah having sort of like what that start is and and, and I, I love when when people make those sort of unique connections to what their mm. creativity is and maybe in their approach to creativity and seeing like how other people may do stuff and it's like oh yeah like you know me having this sort of like visual arts background me having this like curatorial approach and yeah everything goes back to poetry i i, I love that i love that that's yeah, the starting yeah. point for you mm-hmm. yeah i mean specifically spoken word because like the whole thing about spoken word is it takes something like poetry which most people are like i don't get it yeah. And then it brings it to the masses and it transforms it, but it still stays poetry. Like it's still poetry even, but there's still, you know, there was always debates about whether or not spoken word artists are real poets, you know, like, uh, but it, it, it's one of them, you know, like I, I love it as like a vehicle that, that brings people into something that otherwise is complicated and abstract to them. And so I think, for example, as a curator, that informs what I do as a curator. I'm like, okay, well, if spoken word can make people get poetry, 
then how can the way that I curate um, get people into visual art, which is something uh, that people sometimes don't think is really something that they that they can get either, right? So. Yeah, I, I find in, in doing these these interviews, um, I talk to folks and they're like, so how do you, so, so and, I, and I've mentioned that on, on the podcast before that I'm a data analyst doing a day job. So, you know, mm-hmm. I know spreadsheets, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I speak on on occasion is like sort of having this like strategic storytelling, like analytical, like, like mindset, I think it serves mm-hmm. the, the creative thing as far as structuring content and things of that nature and booking out interviews, mm-hmm. what makes sense. And then mm-hmm. the other side of it, the creative, the storytelling kind of informs the day job as like, what is this day mm-hmm. thing? Hey, let me present it in this manner. They kind of yeah. cyclical, they kind of work together. And, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's definitely something that's there. Um, so, Creative polymath. That's 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 the word that comes to mind. I think of this really extensive background and I admire folks that kind of make a lane for themselves. Like you don't have one lane, you know what I mean? And I think mm. you have multiple that make up sort of your creative expression and there's freedom in that, you know, so mm. reading that your first love is, is there with writing and particularly, you know, with spoken word, you know, Again, what are, what are the biggest drivers of the work that you're doing? Like, really, what drives you and says it has you say, like, all right, I want to do this. I want to approach this work in this way, whether it be from organizing, mm-hmm. whether it be curating, whether it be writing. And I saw music in there as well. So tell me about that. Um, One thing leads to another. And then it's just, do you follow your nose? You know, like, so, for example, right, like, um. I, uh, you know, like I said, I, like, so, so in college, I got really into spoken word. I went to UC Davis and there was like no spoken word scene there. And so I was like, I want a spoken word scene here. Like I really wanted to get into Berkeley partly because like it has just like this really banging spoken word scene, but Davis is like by Sacramento. So it's like, almost, you know, like almost two hours away from there. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess I got to organize open mics. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then it was like, well, it'd be easier if I did it with more people. So I guess I got to start a student organization. So I had to learn how to do that. Uh, there's a point where, um, you know, you got to promote the events. And I was like, I guess I got to learn Photoshop. Like I was making flyers on on like Microsoft Word, you know, just like trying to, you know, or MS Paint back when that was a thing, you know. <laughs> um, and then we needed a website. And then so, and it was like, I mean, back in, I was in college in 2001, like trying to figure out how to even start a website. Like when, like, I didn't know how to, I didn't know the difference between a hosting and domain. Like, it's not like everybody was talking about domain names and where to buy them. Like I bought my first uh, domain, like off of some company that closed down and I lost the web address forever kind of a thing. But it was like each thing, I just had to learn it. And then so but it was always towards kind of the same story, like you were saying, right? I was trying to, um, you know, I was trying to make something that didn't exist in the space where I felt like it was needed. And I think that that's, that's kind of the main thing. And it's like, if I have to learn how to do it, you know, like, then I'll learn Final Cut, you know, just like how, like, if your sink is clogged, you call the plumber, you could call the web designer, but you're like, at a certain point, you're like, I got to fix my sink often. So I'm going to learn how to fix it. It doesn't make you necessarily a plumber, you know, like, and so I don't know if I would necessarily, sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I can can necessarily identify as a musician or 
as a coder, you know, like I always have a bit of inferiority complex with it, but I'll learn the skill set and I'll learn how to have a conversation with like another person who does that. And then, and then eventually I'll get better at it. And then eventually I can maybe identify as it. So that's kind of how it's been. What is, what is that uh, saying? Necessity is <laughs> the mother of invention? Yeah, you know, I mean, I had to really, I think being a curator and meeting a range of artists, mm -hmm. I, it really made me have to come to terms with the kind of artist I, I wanted to be and then the kind of artist that I am. You know, like, I think I really admire, like, you know, the people who maybe they're only good at one thing, but they're like, they're the best, or they could contend to be the best, because that's what they do, right? Um, and I really admire those artists. But I think at the end of the day, um, that's not necessarily what makes me sit down and create, you know, like what makes me sit down and create is out of necessity. Mm -hmm. And because whatever is available, just like, I feel like there could be something better, right? And so, I and thank you for that. And I, and I think there's an, another question that sort of comes out of it. How do you like look at sort of, you know, how far to go on a particular like topic into a particular practice? So, like, for instance, in me doing this, like, I I lift my nose up at people who do like the barbershop podcast. While that can be very interesting, <sighs> it can be well done, right? It's just like, can we take this uh -huh. further? Where can we go deeper than this? Because there, it doesn't feel like there's some degree mm -hmm. of innovation there. And and I I enjoy mm -hmm. some of those. I'm not to you know kind of crap on it too much, but I try to extend what I'm doing, whether it be let's take this conversation to a different community. Let's look at people who are doing this type of creativity, mm -hmm. this type of art. How like in in as far as finding out where the sort of boundaries are in terms of creativity for you how do you know how far you want to go like in being innovative and, and looking mm. at these different things how do you know where sort of the limits are how do you know to go further or how do you know that you've reached bedrock i think because i'm a gemini <laughs> i i get i get bored I, I wouldn't say i get bored easily but i know when i'm bored and i know when i'm starting to get bored and then, so when I know that I'm starting to get bored, I start to figure out like, what's the next elite pad I'm going to jump to, or at least like, how do I, you know, like make this interesting to me again. Right. And I think, you know, like I did, I did poetry. I mean, I, I still write poetry, but performing poetry, like earlier before we were recording, you were talking about how, like, when you take a few days off of something, you start to feel rusty, you know, like, I mean, I, I do a, I do a spoken word performance you know, like maybe once or twice a year and, and even less, I mean, I, I, I didn't do anything during the pandemic, you know? And so, um, there was a point where I'm like, am I tired of it or has it just sort of like transformed into something else? Right. And I think that sometimes with, when you identify as like, I'm specifically this, I'm, I'm I specifically identify with this medium that someone else carved and, and said that all of this is what makes one medium like poetry versus music, right? Like, then there's a point where I'm like, I feel like I'm writing things poetically, like when I write curatorial statements, mm -hmm. when I when I when I'm speaking in front of an audience, I still, you know, like, even if it's a keynote speech, I still craft it like a spoken word set, you know, but the context of the event is different, you know, like, and, you know, and it's still my voice, but maybe because this isn't 
Starry Plow Cafe in Berkeley, you know, where a keynote speech would be completely inappropriate. Like in this particular situation, like I'm not going to do a slam poem, but I'm still going to get my message across, but just in this different medium that's that that makes more sense, right? And then sometimes you can actually break that and be like, nah, fuck it, I'm going to actually do a poem even though they asked for a keynote speech, right? And so you kind of figure that out, right? And so I don't think I'm ever really done with it. Mm-hmm. Like I try to at least stay sharp enough, yeah. you know, like to, so that I don't like lose it forever. Um, Cause you can, and I have lots of stuff forever um, or at least up till now, but yeah, you know, like, but, but then the more skills you pick up, then the more you sort of, it can get overwhelming to have to like practice every day. Right. And so, so then you just try to try to find ways to incorporate what you what you know how to do to keep yourself fresh. You know, like I don't I don't really necessarily identify as a web designer, uh, especially anymore. I don't really look for gigs, but I do try to involve myself in projects where I like need to build the website, for example, so that I'm like, you know, not still coding like it's 2004. You know, so yeah, I like I like <laughs> I like these these some of these dated references. That's really funny. <laughs> Like yeah, you know, back in two thousand one, when I was in college, I was like, "What hell, love?" <laughs> I like that. Um, so moving moving into sort of like the day job stuff, can you talk about what mm-hmm. your role is? Um, uh, mm-hmm. like really, what what your role includes? Like, talk about that a bit. Yeah. Um. So I am a curator at the Smithsonian Asian Pacific American Center. Um, my focus as a curator is on digital and emerging practice. And um, and I'm about to hit my 10 year anniversary, which is wild because when I first got the job, I was like, like I was saying before, I was like, I'll, I'll apply for this. I've never worked in the museum before. Um, you know, like I wonder what curators do, you know? Yeah, you know, like, I mean, and, and I actually picked that up, I think a lot when I was doing web design because as a web designer, like everybody needs a website, right? And so, you know, like I'd be working on a musician's website and then also like a nonprofit, um, you know, medical website and then like uh, a social movement website. And you learn about these different fields and then it becomes kind of interesting. And then sometimes I would like want to follow certain rabbit holes. And so I had done certain things in museums like poetry performances or web design gigs. And so you know, and then I lived in, uh, you know, in the Bay in New York, which has amazing museums. And so um, I was like, I'll, I'll try this out. You know, like I was looking for, I was getting tired of doing full-time web design and I applied for the job. Um, like I had never held a full-time job before. So I, you know, like had to sort of bullet point my freelance gigs and like my organizing stuff and all of that. But it ended up, being exactly what they were looking for. Um, so that's kind of a little bit of the origin story. What I do is really about, um, so because the Asian Pacific American Center isn't a museum, um, you know, there's one planned a century in the future, but right now we're basically sort of like just kind of the, uh, you know, we're the part of the Smithsonian that focuses on programming um, about Asian Americans and, and Pacific Islanders. And because my, title is curator of digital and emerging practice like it kind of changes because the internet changes and like my focus is on sort of like how like like basically like doing projects that stay on the pulse of sort of like what's what's emerging what is kind of like on the precipice 
um, you know, and, and that's the stuff that's exciting to me. So I'm interested in like, what are like the, what are the social issues people are going to, you know, starting to discuss and, and, and that's going to be like a really big issue in a couple of years or, um, you know, like what are artists doing, you know, like, you know, like, like when the pandemic hit, it was like, you know, there's, there's all these, um, there's all these artists who do tactile work like sculpture and they're not going to be able to show for a while. Um, so they, they might start switching to uh media art but then there's all these media artists that you know like their thing is about how they do media art and so if everybody else starts doing media art what are they going to do and and so right. I, I was you know like i like following that kind of stuff and and that's what i focus on so have, having this this background in, in organization and like community involvement collaboration like how how does that play a role in it um in, in your work like is it you know i have my ear to the street i'm i'm out there i'm part mm -hmm. of the community or have you talk about like how that works and maybe how that impacts some of your your, your curatorial approach yeah so um i do have a background in asian american studies from college and when I was touring um, as a poet, um, I was traveling with this collective called Illiteracy, which was originally the, spoke, uh, the, the spoken word organization I had founded in college. And then we just became like a full-time group. And um, we're a collective of Black and Asian American poets. And so what we were doing was mostly touring universities and like hitting up both the Asian American Student Union and also the Black Student Union and being like, Hey, have y'all ever collaborated before? Want to collaborate to book us a gig? And then so it was sort of like, you know, like, like we were like, how can we make it so that you know, like, what we're doing also sort of plant some seeds, right? So we went to like, for example, like UVA, and end up that like the the people who run both orgs, they're friends, but they just didn't really have an incentive to organize together, and so we sort of would pose ourselves as that incentive, right? So. Now, um, you know, at the Smithsonian, I kind of, you know, like I like to do similar work, you know, like now, for example, May is Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. I, I hit up like people I know at the African American History and Culture Museum and was like, hey, have you all ever done like an event for uh, API Heritage Month? Let's do one about, you know, like Black and Asian solidarity, right? Um, so that's kind of like where the organizing comes in, where I'm I'm organizing from within, you know, like as a way to shift the institution. Um, and then my focus is also on community organizing. And so, for example, like I mean, it, it, it's what I study. It's 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 where I move in within. You know, like it's it's the the nature in which I curate. Like I curate as a way to just like, I think feel like you do with this podcast too. Like I curate with the intent to fall in love with everybody that I work with, you know, like yeah. I, I curate because I want to strengthen my bond with them. And then I feel like whatever types of byproducts happen from this friendship forming over a creative practice, like it's going to benefit other people just by, by default. Right. And so that's kind of how I see my work as a curator. Thank you. And, it, and I've said it before, um, when people ask me, what are you trying to achieve? I like in, in real life, not in podcast life, but in real life, I'm very brief. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I'm just looking for friends, man. It's lonely out here. In East yeah. <laughs> it's hard to find friends, you know, like, I mean, you know, people walking around with like no new friends slogans. And I'm like, I want new friends, you know, like, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't really want that many more just sort of you know, contacts, I feel like it's hard, you know, like, 
it, like every time I close a social media plat like account, I'm just like, this was the only thing keeping this person's name in my head. And, you know, like, let me unburden both of us, you know, like, so, um, and, you know, but in order, you know, like, so, so in order to, to make space for the new friends, sometimes sort of like how, how much is just clutter. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like that's the, that's one of the big things that's happening right now online is like, I mean, it's been happening. Like people are more and more just like, where does this end? Like, where does all these followers go? Mm -hmm. You know, like, um, and, and then same thing with artists. Like, I think as sort of like an allergic reaction to viral, viral culture, I've started meeting and working with artists who are like, I only want to perform with the, for the other people that are part of the performance. And we're just going to yeah. make this, you know, like, let this be what it is. And, and, and it's okay that not everybody in the world knows about it and saw all the behind the scenes Insta videos about it mm -hmm. and liked, liked it, even though they didn't attend it, you know, like, <laughs> it's just, <laughs> let me just do this for the love of it. Right. So. It, it's something very important in there. And I think it kind of like pokes at this notion of it's controversial, I suppose, but what's art between what's, 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 what's art versus what's content, you know, especially in this sort of mm -hmm. like social media age, you know, always be creating, we're always living these sort of curated mm -hmm. lifestyles. It's, it's a very mm -hmm. bizarro world of curation on like social yeah. media. It's like, I'm showing you mm -hmm. all the wins. It's like, you've mm -hmm. lost a lot. You have failed at some grants. You can't just be in Miami every week. That's not the case. And yeah, yeah. And especially in this sort of spot where I'll talk with folks who are artists, curators, so on, journalists, mm -hmm. they'll say, you're part of all of these things, right? And then mm -hmm. when I get on it, I just feel like I'm an influencer. And mm -hmm. that's that's the way that I'm deemed when I work with different people. And I, I I think it's something really important that you're getting at of like kind of figuring out how that situation works on the socials is like, I need to flush this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I think working at the Smithsonian, which has like, you know, I mean, there, like, there's a lot of reasons why the Smithsonian is sort of what other institutions and organizations might have FOMO over, like when they sort of see like, everybody knows about the Smithsonian, you know, like, and I mean, it's the, you know, like it's the nation's museum, but then seeing that like, oh, you get all the way up to the top and they're still tripping over it, you know, mm -hmm. like, and they're still not satisfied. Um, then where, then really, where does it end? And, and then you realize that it, it wasn't made to end, you know? And so I think that, yeah, it can get it can get super draining. And I think also, you know, it's interesting when you talk about like a curated lifestyle, because, you know, back 10 years ago, when I applied for this job, like I remember at the time curate or curator wasn't as big of a word, but it was like Questlove was on, uh, you know, just came back from Philly, right? So Questlove was on a magazine cover and it no longer said DJ Questlove, it said Questlove curator of records or curator of music right and right. i was like oh oh okay okay right and then and then so like i sort of even though i got a job as like you know like curator is in my title i kind of came up and learned how to be a curator along with sort of everybody else like where i was like 
does my Tumblr count as curatorial experience? You know, like, and you know, now on hindsight, it's like, hell yeah, it did, you know? And so, <laughs> but I think that, you know, the thing is that curating it, it also does require, you know, like meticulous selection. And I think that that's the thing that like a lot of times, you know, I mean, I think that honestly people can be a, anybody can be a curator and you can be a curator of anything, but it does require curation and not just kind of cult, you know, just mm-hmm. being like, well, oh, I'm going to just like do a wide net sweep, you know? Yeah. And I feel like that's, that's what it feels like a lot of times. Like it feels like people say that they have something that's like a curated life, but then when you look at it, it, it feels very like everything. It feels kind of overwhelming. And I think like any kind of good curation wouldn't feel overwhelming. Right. And, and, and shout out to you mentioning uh, Questlove. He and I have the same birthday, <laughs> different years. The oh, same yeah. Birthday. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. I have Bob Dylan's birthday. <laughs> nice. <laughs> definitely, yeah. my, my brother's a Gemini as well. So definitely, uh-huh. I, I know your ilk, the, these air signs. <laughs> so, so could you tell us about um, Brave Space? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Brave Space is the latest project that I curated at uh, the Asian Pacific American Center at the Smithsonian. Um and it's it's basically a, it's a music compilation like you can you can find it on spotify and and apple music and all of that and but it's a compilation um particularly of uh asian american women and non-binary artists uh kind of doing work responding to the idea of meditation and mindfulness hmm. and so the reason why i say it's like a responding to the idea of it is because um you know I think that there's like kind of a very narrow sort of mainstream idea of what like meditation is and what mindfulness is. But I think, you know, again, kind of thinking about what a museum does, right. It's like you, or, or thinking about what a spoken word artist does, right. Like you, you take something that maybe people have heard of might even sort of like, you know, follow on their own, but, you know, like offering more context and also um, offering uh, just offering a wider scope of what it could be, right? And so I wanted to uh, work with these artists to to think through sort of like where does the meditation come from, where does the mindfulness come from, in ways that have been sort of like forgotten by like Lululemon and you know like even like Headspace, you know, like a lot of these don't really draw in the context, the cultural context of where this comes from, and it's not exclusively from Asian culture, but a lot of it is right <laughs> so, um, and so yeah i mean and and again like but but thinking about the fact that it's not all just ancient right and so um most of the musicians are um you know younger or emerging musicians and they sort of play with a blend of different genres and so it's not just sort of like ambient music but it's also like hip-hop and electronic beat making and pop music and you know like acoustic rock and all of that and so um, yeah, that dropped at the beginning of the year, um, you know, January 2023. 20, um, and then, yeah, it's kind of, you know, it was something I was working on at the beginning of the pandemic because I was sort of like, I want to work on a project where I'm not going to feel more stressed out than I am because of this pandemic. And so, you know, it's like, if it's focused on meditation and mindfulness, you know, like, it would it would be disingenuous to to get stressed out and it actually works like anytime i was about to feel stressed out i was like 
remember what this project's about. You know, and so <laughs> no, it, it's 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 really it's really funny. Like you, you hear that you know mindfulness, meditation, all of the different stuff, self care, all of the different stuff, mm-hmm. just kind of thrown out there. And I remember um, definitely I, I had a uh, therapist. I was seeing a therapist at a point, and our focus was on mindfulness. And he would always mm-hmm. make references, like so in, e- in Eastern culture. And I was like, okay. <laughs> He's like, so the samurai. I was like, this is where we're starting off. At. It's like, prayer versus like, yeah, yeah, yeah. just praying a little bit. It's like that doesn't help. Yeah, yeah. Thinking this already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it is also a blend, you know. Like I mean, because. It's like with these projects, you can't ever be like encyclopedic, right? And so even though we've got like 12 artists involved, it's not covering, going to cover every kind of practice. But like there's um, this amazing musician, Anna Roxanne, who um, is known for kind of this very, you know, spacey, ethereal kind of sound that she brings into the her track. But she wanted to try something different where because she's Filipino, um, and even though she doesn't identify with a religion, she wanted to get a sense of why her aunt is so deeply Catholic. And then so she made her track where the vocal overlay is actually like an interview with her with her aunt. And it's kind of like it's it's wild because it's like listening to on face value, it's a very Catholic sounding song, but it's actually, you know, it's actually deeper than that. It's more about somebody trying to understand something that they even feel sort of, you know, like, I mean, a lot of us have, you know, like a very radioactive response to Christianity and Catholicism, you know, like I I can myself, you know, like, and so like hearing her incorporate that sort of, you know, love for her aunt where I'm like, I'm going to listen to you talk about these things that sometimes can really trigger me. You know, and then like that process made the, made the track right, and so um, yeah, it was dope because I feel like it was like you know I wanted it to be something where everybody involved could sort of like retreat to that project if anything else was super stressed, uh, you know, stressing during during this pandemic time. So like we were supposed to get the project done in the nine months, like every project that gets a grant, and then it took three years, and it was just like. You know, and it didn't come out until like everybody was done. And, yeah. you know, so that took three years, you know. You got to let them cook. That's literally the thing. Mm-hmm. Let them cook um, because mm-hmm. it's art, not content. It's creativity, yeah. not content. Yeah. And, you ever had a fast, quickly cooked stew? It's disgusting. You know, like <laughs> <laughs> salty and terrible. Uh, yeah. yeah um, and, and I think, you know, one of the things about e- even doing this podcast and, in some of the some of the exhibits I might see and some of the the different projects folks might come up with, I think it's an invitation mm-hmm. to go deeper. It's not like this mm-hmm. is the exhaustive sort of monolithic thing. This is the end all be all of this particular topic. It can't be. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. it's an invitation yeah. to dive deeper, whether it be in that, into that specific artist, whether it be into that sort of thinking, whether it be into the influence that are baked into the exhibit, into what the artist's work is. I think yeah. it's an invitation. Yeah. And, and that's the way that I treat these interviews. Like, I might mm-hmm. interview someone mm-hmm. three or four times. It's like, this is a moment in time. So if yeah. I'm interviewing mm-hmm. someone three years ago and they're having the same interview mm-hmm. now, that's... That's that's not good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's just like, hey, where are you at within the process? Where are you at within your work? What is your current body of work like? Things of that sort. Yeah. 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 I think that I mean, that's how I I mean, that my favorite things in general and especially like exhibitions or even movies are like kind of 
are like that where I I don't you know like I I don't really want to watch the biopic. I want to watch a slice in the life of you know uh and but I think the problem I shouldn't say problem the 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 challenge at at a place like the Smithsonian um is that everything's supposed to be the biopic, right? And so like you know, people walk through the American History Museum, and then at the end, you know, like you're supposed to be like, "Well, that was it. That was America." <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah, you go through the Natural History Museum, you're like, "That's science, right?" Um, and um, and it's sort of it's sort of expected, right? And um, you know, I think that that's sort of the the soul searching that's happening right now with like folks, you know, like there's all these congressional bills and like people who are interested in like. Uh, moving towards like this national Asian American Pacific Islander museum. And, but it's like, like there's like dozens and dozens of ethnicities and ethnicities within those ethnicities. Right. Um, And then, you know, like, how do you just kind of create sort of like the pill to swallow to be like, well, I got, I got the gist of it. You know, like this is one of seven museums we're going to today, kids. Right. Like, and um yeah it's tough because i i always just want to curate the deep cut but yeah. you know um it's it's hard to, it's hard to sell the deep cut to a big institution because they're always like trying to reach the the general audience if you yeah. ask you know i mean all these big museums like who's your audience you're like everybody you're like that's not helpful at all <laughs> not at all you have to be go go yeah. super niche and you know, I even have to do it. And, and that's that sort of way of like, who are you talking to? It's like, not everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely mm-hmm. not everyone. And, um, yeah. and, and and that's why I try to frame these conversations. Uh, and I describe like what I'm doing is facilitating someone sharing their story. And it's like, I have mm-hmm. a few questions. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to guide it because I have these mm-hmm. sensibilities and these are the things that make me curious. But that's kind of it. I, in, in, mm-hmm. in looking at it, it's not like I started off. So tell me about the Smithsonian with my like arm leaned forward or what have you. I didn't do you know? <laughs> um, Yeah, yeah. So 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 lastly, I, I want to key in on this before we get to those rapid fire questions. I've been adding questions as we've been talking. So shout out okay. to you. Uh, so I'm curious in your thoughts on like sharing a message, whatever that, that message might be. You know, like mm-hmm. people do it overtly. Some people do it, you know, covertly. And, you know, I don't mm-hmm. know if I need to be out there in someone's face of I'm only talking to people who don't really get a fair shot, you know, that, you know, I, I want to talk to, you know, people of, of color, what have you, different communities and all of that different stuff. But I don't think it, I, I need to make my logo the rainbow flag or say, hey, we stand with Blase. Mm-hmm. It's baked in of who I'm talking to regularly and how mm-hmm. I'm talking to them. Could you speak on the importance of like sharing a message in a variety of ways through your work, curatorial, through your creative work? Speak on like, you know, like how you mm-hmm. go about putting out there a message, like we know what you're about. Um, I think that like, I always have different interests and I think that my my values and my politics, they ebb and flow, they sort of evolve, like, like everybody's should. Um, and I really feel like that's part of the message, you know, like, um, and it kind of goes back to poetry, right? It's like um, a good poem, it, it it sort of like, it states its point in a way that's succinct and beautiful, right? And I think that, that that's also a, a good, 
that's a good path for like a political message, whatever your political message is. Yeah. That's a good path for, um, you know, like a body of artwork. It's a good path for a song, you know, like, um, and, and, and I think that oftentimes that sort of process of getting from point A to point B, um, our society is so impatient for it, right? Like we just want to be there already, yeah. right? And, you know, like, and, and capitalism and sort of the way that our world works, it's always about the output, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that um, if there's anything that I hope sort of is understood and, or at least sort of detected in everything that I do, it's that like, uh, you know, like it, the, the process in which this was created was embraced as much if not more so than the final result right um i think that that kind of goes back to what i was saying like i don't know if i you know i know i'll never be like you know the you know like charles mingus and just be like it's piano and it's piano and it's piano right but um sort of like the that point where it's some you know somebody's like oh i'm playing piano and you know what i'm kind of getting interested in you know like uh I'm also getting interested in coding, you know, like, what do I know about music and composing that is going to sort of like, help me become a better coder? And then what does that process look like? I feel like that is a very interesting process mm -hmm. that can feel tedious. If you try to describe it, you're like, you try to, you're trying to pick up coding when you're a musician, that's going to be difficult, right? But it's like, yeah, but it, it could be really fun too, right? Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think that would be the message. I think that learning how to convey it in different ways is part of why I like sort of working in different fields. Like even now as a curator, you know, like the part of the reason why I've been working there for 10 years is because I, you know, like each project can be completely different. Like one, you know, like one project that can be worked, you know, like, I mean, I was working uh, last summer on a project with Peggy Oki, who is um, a surfer and skateboarder in her sixties, who also saves whales. <laughs> Uh, and makes art about it. And then El Frank Manriquez, who's a Tongva uh, scholar and sculptor. And, um, you know, like, I was just interested in meeting them and learning about how their work connects as both sort of like people who were born and raised around the water in California, yeah. right? And all of that was my way of being like, okay, it's the beginning of the pandemic, I just moved to LA, and I want to learn about LA. And I want to learn about from these two people, right? Um, and so I was like, okay, how can I make this process of like wanting to learn about native history of LA, learning about Asian American history of LA, um, you know, understanding my relationship with the ocean now that I'm back, you know, like by the coast. Um, how do I do all of that in a way that is actually enjoyable, not just for myself, but everybody else who's involved, and then maybe like a wider audience. Thank you. And that's just so well said. And I think the other reason, just so you don't think that I'm just making faces, I'm a huge Charles Mingus fan. So when you said that, I marked out mm -hmm. briefly. I was like, uh -huh. I, I mean, <laughs> look, I've been looking for this Charles Mingus hat from uh, Black Saint and the Center Lady for probably four years at this point. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so I want to go into these rapid fire questions. Um, yeah. I got I got a couple of them for you, and then we'll go into shameless plugs and rap. Uh, and so brevity is key here. Don't, don't overthink. Okay. Thanks. So. The last movie you watched. 
I'm so glad I remember. I was watching Andor last night, but what was the last movie I watched? I don't know if it was the last one, but I did watch Tar. Okay. We, we may have to talk yeah. about that. We might have to talk about yeah, that. I, I, I kind of have, have a crush on Kate Blanchett, so I just like watch watch every Kate Blanchett movie. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we could talk about Tar forever. That's your for your movies review podcast. I do have a movie review podcast, so we... yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, you you listen. Okay, shout out to you. Uh, if you were an animal for twenty four hours, what animal would it be? Snail. Okay, I'm gonna be an alligator. Mm. Yeah, Just you would. You, yeah, yeah. Okay, I think I think we would be we could coexist. I don't think I don't think alligators eat snails like that. No, we don't, we don't jam with it. You know, we're, we're boys. Yeah. We're boys with snails. Uh, what is your favorite late night snack? Uh, this is gonna sound I, like I have not had a late night snack in forever. Like okay. I started fasting, and so I can't even remember. Um, sorry, I'm just gonna say hot water because <laughs> like I drink hot water like. Like I guzzle hot water, so. Okay. I need yeah. to get back to drinking hot water. I hear it's good for you. <laughs> Thermogenics and all of that good stuff. Uh, yeah. What has it gotten you further um, in your career? Uh, street smarts or book smarts? Street smarts. Almost undefeated, just keeps winning. It's like, it's, like, it's not quite Mayweather, right? But it's getting there, it's getting there. Mm. And lastly, mm. I know I slagged this this term off, so I'm not going to use it, but I self-care was originally in here. What sort of practices that what's one practice that you do that's like regenerative, restorative for you? Like when you just need to like mm -hmm. refill that cup, as it were, the cup of hot water, as it were. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I was I was mentioning this to you before um, over email, like I, I just had my first child. Um, he He's turning seven months this week. And uh, like spending time with him because it it's like the necessities, like all he's doing is the necessities. And so when I'm spending time with him, it's either to help him eat, to help him go to the bathroom um, or to help him play. Mm -hmm. And then it just sort of reminds me like kind of all you, all you really need to make it through in life <laughs> is to, to have those covered, you know, so. That's great. And thank you. Um, thank you for sharing, sharing that. And thank you for being on this podcast. Um, I think we'll wrap up there. Um, uh, I want to encourage you and invite you to share with the folks where they can check you out. I know social media is a thing. So what, 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 mm -hmm. plug whatever you want to plug in these final moments here. The floor is yours. Oh, word. Um, well, so like I said, I, I you know, I, I listen and I know that you were doing some New Orleans focus episode. So, um, you know, uh, there is a piece that um, I curated with um, some folks that's out permanently in New Orleans. It's at the Music Box Village. Um, it's called Elevator Pitch. And it's this project with Christine Sun Kim um, and New Orleans Airlift. So New Orleans Airlift runs the Music Box Village. The Music Box Village is basically like this compound of musical houses um, that like the things that you do to the house plays emits music in different ways. Yeah. And um, I worked with Christine um, and New Orleans Airlift. Christine is a deaf sound artist and her um, focus is on just sort of like how sound affects all of our lives in ways beyond just hearing. And so back in 2018, we created this project um, 
that's still there. Um, it's basically an elevator. And when you push the buttons, uh, you hear the shouts of deaf people. Um, and then the walls and the, and the floor shakes and, and it's inspired by this game that deaf people play where like they go into elevators and they like scream their heads off and then they can sort of like feel each other. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that project's out there. It's one of the very few projects, like most of what I curate is kind of fleeting. And so I'm excited about, about the fact that that exists there. And then for folks in New York city, there's a mural that I worked on with. Um, an artist named Jess X Snow and the Wow Project, which is a Chinatown organization in New York, um, and it's it's on um, Moscow Street, which is like a small alleyway. It's called in the future our Asian community is safe. It was made after the Atlanta spa shootings, um, and we're still building up that mural with some augmented reality stuff that'll drop this summer. Um, so yeah, I, I think those two projects, along with Brave Space, all of it you can find at smithsonianapa.org. Um, probably the best place for to find my work will be on my website, drizzle.com, D-R-Z-Z-L.com. Right now has nothing on it other than my bio, but I'm, I don't, when does this come out? Like tonight? You're just going to up? Okay. <laughs> I'll be trolling. I, I, I'm going to aim to get it up. I don't know. You dropped like, Five episodes on Tuesday. I was like, "Is he just like uh, like after the interview? You just like send the cloud." Um, but anyway, uh, I'll, I'll aim to have my website portfolio back up by by then. So drzzl.com. I have an Instagram, which is also drzzl. Um, I I'll, I'll I cannot guarantee if and when I will post on it again, but I lurk. Um, yeah, so. <laughs> And there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Adriel Lewis for coming on. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there's art and culture in and around your neck of the woods. You've just got to look for it. Mm-hmm.